Let us pray. Oh, Lord, our God, as we look at this woman who's been hemorrhaging for 12 years, we can find ourselves somewhere in this account. And we're asking that your Holy Spirit open up our hearts to receive that which you have for us today as individual people, as your church. And I pray most earnestly that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together will be acceptable to you. For you are our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen. The kingdom of God is a huge subject, and we've been talking about it for weeks, and it is shown to us in parables, and today it's shown to us in healing, healing miracles. One of the biggest things that Jesus was about was ultimate healing of people's souls, of people's spirits, of people's physical bodies. God broke into the world with Jesus Christ, bringing the kingdom of God and eternity out into the open. And Christ's actions often did not make sense, not even to the disciples, were the common sense approach to life that had always served them was now getting in the way. Not to the Pharisees and to the Pharisees whose purpose in life was to uphold righteousness with the law and to hold people's fate in their hands if they fell short. And Jesus came to liberate us from condemnation, to liberate us from self-condemnation, from condemnation we perceive is out there, to free us from the way of the Pharisees, where some people were condemned before they were even born. And some people were condemned because they were sick. Because as you recall, retribution theology was alive and well. And if a person was really sick, the next question was, what did they do that God is punishing them in this way? Condemnation because their sins were obvious. This wasn't a time when they were aware that all of us sin and some sins are more obvious than others. They condemned the ones who were the overt sinners. And also there was this thing that we have to know and we have to realize and that Jesus' love was unbearable. It was too much to bear. It was so deep and is so deep and is so powerful and is so all-forgiving. How could love be unconditional? We will probably ask that in some way our entire lives. Jesus was called foolish. His disregard of the rules that people valued more than anything else was not appreciated. appreciated. He was instituting a change so deep and profound it would bring out the best but also bring out the worst in people. He was on his way to a death scene. Jairus' young daughter was dying and responding to the man's plea, which was my little daughter, my little girl is dying. Can you please come and put your hand on her so that she will be healed and live? Jesus was on his way to respond to that. And his compassion we cannot grasp. We cannot begin to grasp the extent of the compassion of Jesus Christ. And a large crowd followed and pressed around him and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. And there was a desperation. 
to her situation because of the element of embarrassment. She was considered ritually unclean, and her condition actually banned her from the act of worship. And this goes directly to a deep fear that socialized human beings often harbor, which is we will never really belong because we really aren't good enough. And there's something about us that is so unacceptable that if people knew what it was, they would ostracize us. This is the universal lie. And this is our common humanity. And this is the lie that causes unending suffering. Everything about this woman points to the ways that human beings suffer. And her suffering was emblematic. She had gone to the physicians. She spent all she had. And she only got worse. And we have many ways to express the condition of her soul. She had hit rock bottom. She was at the end of her rope. She had lost hope and she had nothing to lose. She was broken, very ill, and ostracized. But then she heard about Jesus. And she went to him, but she could not look into his face. She was impacted by the culture's view of her. How could she not be affected? People soak in bad messages about themselves like sponges. You could get 10 compliments on a day and one searing criticism, and most of us would remember the criticism. And she had been the recipient of negative messages from the culture for 12 years. So she couldn't look Christ in the face. She even to some degree believed the bad messages about herself. But the king of God operates very much at odds with the way the world operates. Somehow she had the will to find Christ and then she fought the crowds to get to him and to touch him. If I just touch his cloak, I will be healed, she says. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was free from her suffering. And at once Jesus realized the power had actually gone out of him. And he turned around in the crowd and said, who touched me? And the disciples being their sensible earthbound selves said, all these people are crowding around and you say, who touched my clothes? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, she came and she fell at his feet and told him the whole truth. It's what he wants to hear, the whole truth. He doesn't need it. Jesus Christ knows it all. But there is nothing to be gained in presenting to God a sanitized version of ourselves. When we are made aware of the truth about ourselves and bring it to God, it's a powerful connection. We are giving him a gift. God sees it as a sweet aroma. Daughter, he says, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free from your suffering. 
and to relive this scene in our mind's eye, to clutch at his garment, to imagine ourselves doing that, is a reality. It's as if we were there clutching the garment ourselves. When God allows us in our imagination to partake of scripture in this way, we are doing the exact same thing that that woman was doing. This is about the accessibility of Christ because he's here to bring kingdom love and healing into the world. He's here to bring love and reconciliation and healing into the world and stops at nothing to extend and express it. His body, she couldn't touch. Only the tassel, only the fringes of his outer garment. And I started thinking, did anyone really touch Jesus' body? He touched. There's this old hymn that my grandmother loved called, He Touched Me. And Jairus obviously wanted him to come and touch his daughter. And we know that Jesus Christ himself knelt down and washed his disciples' feet. But then there's someone else in scripture, and it was the woman who touched him, who anointed his feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And we learned something about that because it was the glorious lesson that Jesus used. And he, we learned that this was a wonderful thing, using costly perfume to wipe his feet with her hair. It was such an act of extravagance. But Jesus took delight in that because people taking the initiative to reach out and touch him, and I'm not talking about praying for loved ones. We all do that. I'm talking about praying to him about the guts of our soul. Reaching out and touching him, there's something very special and powerful about this. And we have to do it. Our willingness, undeserved as we are, to approach the sacred, to approach the holy, we've got to do it. And the Old Testament teaches us about holiness, and people know and recoil from the presence of God in the Old Testament, and people still know in worship that we are in God's presence and the question is, are we also in Christ's presence? Yes, but there's more to it than this. We're actually the body of Christ. We are his arms. We are his feet. We are his mouthpiece. We are his messenger of love and grace, grace and love, love and grace. He gives his church his own body sacramentally, and then we become his body. We are the body of Christ. And realizing this makes me want to gulp because I know how short I fall. But interestingly enough, that is the qualification. That's the entrance exam. Knowing that we fall short, knowing that we sin, knowing that we need his love is the qualification. Blessed are the meek is what the Sermon on the Mount says from Jesus' own words. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And he preaches this, not asking us to not value ourselves. That's not what meekness is. He's talking about humility. Humility before Christ. Like this woman, 
who crept up behind him and touched the friend of his fringe of his garment and healing power drained from him is there anything that the church his body on earth wears that if we touch it we are empowered and it is the cross and it is the cross in all of its variations and the cross, the one that Kenny took down here, is just two pieces of wood nailed together. And two pieces of wood nailed together really doesn't have any magical power. But there is power in what it symbolizes. Years ago, a friend and I visited my brother Dan, who had been living in Brazil and working on the Amazon for about 25 years. And he decided to get a boat so that we would take, I think it was a two-day trip down the Amazon to a research site. So we were on this boat, and we were in the wilderness. There were no people. There were no other boats. We were going down the boat on the Amazon, and we slept in our hammocks, and it was Sunday morning. So we went up on top of the roof to have a simple worship service. And my brother who was very successful by anyone's standards, talked about the fact that he had feet of clay. He didn't explain what that meant. He didn't need to. He didn't talk about why he felt he had feet of clay. But it's what you do when you come together to worship. Confession is what we do. And at that very moment, in this wild, undeveloped area on the Amazon, one of us spotted a cross on the hill. I'm serious. And it, the cross on the hill touched the cross in our hearts. And I'm not saying touching the cross is exactly the same as the woman touching the tassel. The cross is much more complete. The cross is the developed love of God. The whole story is in, the whole true story is in this one symbol. The story of the extreme love of God. The unconditional, unending love of God. Who looked on the suffering of the world and did what no human being could do. He took the wages of sin away from us. And it's a good thing because the wages of sin is death. He took that away for anyone and everyone who will believe. He took the wages of sin away from us so that we would not die. So I'll finish today with a conversation I had with Jeff Myers as he and Rhonda were on the road last Wednesday moving to Georgia. Jeff and Rhonda stood here and we talked.